Well, let's just take a moment to pray and to prepare our hearts for what God is going to share with us today. So let's take some time to pray. Father God, we just take a moment to still ourselves before you. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to shift from one thing to another within a service. And Lord, we just take a minute to ask, would you prepare our hearts as we come before you today? Would you make us ready to hear from you and your word? Would you keep us open to all that you have to say to us? Would you help us to hear and sensitive to your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you make my words clear? Lord, that nothing in me would be a hindrance today, Father, but that you would speak to your people. And Lord, that we would just be ready to receive all that you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're finishing off our series on First Peter today. And focusing on First Peter has been an interesting and challenging series. I want us to have a wee recap today before we finish. We've jumped about quite a bit in this book because there are different themes that are seen throughout the book. We thought, firstly, about the wonder of salvation. We thought about being amazed at all that God has done for us, all that Christ has done on the cross. We considered our identity in Christ and what it means to be the church, a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. We thought about what it means to be holy and how true holiness is really experienced in community. We really know our sin when we are in connection and in community with other people. And then we thought about some difficult verses which called us to subject ourselves. The verse said, submit yourself to voluntarily give ourselves over to bless another person and what it really means to follow in his steps. We looked at what these verses have to say about suffering and we thought about how we can rejoice in suffering, asking God to work in us and through us in any situation. And then we thought about what it means to follow the example of Jesus and have an attitude of humility in all that we do. We've covered a lot in the last few weeks. And so today, we're just going to finish by gleaning some wisdom from a few verses and some final words about how we can live our lives as Christians. So I want to read to you 1 Peter chapter 4, and it'll be verses 8 to 11. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So I literally just want to focus on a few things from this passage today. Even just in these few verses, there are so many things that we could talk about. And we're going to focus on three themes today, just really briefly. We're going to focus on love, hospitality, and service. 
In verse 8, Peter quotes a verse from Proverbs and it says, love covers a multitude of sins. I was laughing. I think I've heard this before, but I think I've mostly heard it in relation to couples. And I think what I thought that this meant was that you, if you love somebody, you can overlook all the negative elements in them and they don't really matter very much anymore. I think the impression that I had of this phrase growing up is that one person loves and the other person gets away with behaving however they like. That's what I've always thought this meant, but that's not what it's saying here. It's not just a case of covering over the sin as if it doesn't really matter, but it talks about the incredible love of God, which brings forgiveness and healing, and so love covers a multitude of sins. And Peter knew what this really meant personally. He knew he was a sinner. I want us to think for a minute about Peter's story, the most well-known parts of his journey. He was the one who explained to Jesus in the beginning, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He knew he was a sinner, especially in relation to a holy God. Peter was the one who longed to walk on water with Jesus, but as soon as he got out onto the water, the wind and the waves became obvious to him and he became afraid and he started to sink. Now, I'm always amazed that Peter even had faith to get out of the boat in the first place, to be honest. I'm amazed that he even managed to have the faith to get on the water. But I can imagine for Peter, I'm sure this felt like a failure that he began to sink. He was the one who really knew who Jesus was. He declared, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I mean, this was amazing. He seems to really get it when so many other people didn't. He knows who Jesus is. And yet in the very next passage, when Jesus began to talk, to talk about his death, it says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He said to Jesus, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This makes me laugh. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. And then we know that Peter goes on to reject Jesus. And this is probably the most significant of all these occasions. And it's when Peter disowns Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Three times, Peter is identified by others as a follower of Jesus. And his response is this, I do not know him. And this was devastating for Peter. He'd been following Jesus so closely. His desire, his desire in his heart was to be completely all in, to be somebody who would follow Jesus no matter what. And at times he had experienced that, but he was battling against himself and his sin. And in this moment, he wasn't faithful to Jesus. It says that when he realized what he had done, he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter was no stranger to sin. But he's the one that reminds us that love covers a multitude of sins. And there's a beautiful interaction in the book of John where Jesus reinstates Peter. It's beautiful because it's almost like Jesus is aware how Peter will be feeling having rejected him. And in his brokenness, Jesus just sees Peter and where he's at. I want to read some verses from John chapter 21 starting at verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep, look after my people. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is amazing. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And it's like he is recreating the scene where Peter denied Jesus and almost giving him an opportunity to cancel out his mistake. Peter experiences the healing power of the love of Christ. Three times Peter denied him. And three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And isn't this our experience? I know that it's certainly mine. The love of God brings healing in our lives to our wounds, restoring our brokenness, putting us back together again with love. If that's not your experience this morning, I want you to take a minute to pray that God's love would cover you and bring healing to your sin today and any of your wounds. So, Father God, I pray for every single person who sits here today that they would have an outpouring of your love and a knowledge of how much you love them. And, Lord, in these moments, I pray if there's anyone who's sitting here who does not know how loved they are, who doesn't know the experience of having your love cover their wounds and their sins and their brokenness, I pray that in these moments, God, they will know your love restores. Your love puts us back together again. Your love is the one that heals our wounds, and we thank you for that. Amen. And so we need to receive God's love today, but we also need to give it out in the same way, in the same the way that it's been so freely given to us, and that can be a challenge. Honestly, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it takes practice to love people really well. Practicing is really just loving people again and again until we get better at it, until it becomes second nature to us. I read this quote in an article online, and I'm, I really don't know where it was from, so I'm sorry about that. I just um, saw it and then wrote it down, and then I didn't write where it was from, so apologies. But it was good, right? So it said, it's difficult for sin and resentment to flourish in a community that is rich in Christ-like love. Let me read it again. It says, it is difficult for sin and resentment to flourish in a community that is rich in Christ-like love. And that is such a challenge. God, help us to love each other so much in a Christ-like way with grace and truth and forgiveness and mercy and compassion. So the second theme that we're looking at today is hospitality. Hospitality without grumbling. Verse 9 says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Hospitality is one of our core values as a church, and it became really difficult to do during COVID. It became difficult to do it well. Usually, our whole atmosphere here is one of a relaxed welcome, but during COVID, we had to operate differently. And it's been really good to think about what hospitality looks like now that we're back together again. We're going to look at that in a, a few weeks' time, actually, but I just want to think about it for a few minutes just now. We were praying for the community at a prayer meeting this week, and at one of them, Colin was sharing about how one of the groups was having tea in the courtyard, and they were all just chatting. And they had some people pop by, and Colin could easily have said this group wasn't specifically for them, and just been nice and moved them along. But I'm so thankful that he didn't. Actually, he, the, the group gave them tea and coffee and some of the food that they were having, and they welcomed them and let them use the space in a really lovely way. 
and we want more of that. So we started to pray into that at the meeting that God would give us ideas of how to use our space really well and to be generous with what we have, to keep it simple and to be a presence in this community. Because what we do doesn't really matter. It's more about the attitude that we do it with, one of welcome, inclusion, and ease. I've asked Isabel Reynolds to come and share with us this morning for a few minutes. I was with her at our life group a few weeks ago, and it was just fab. I'm visiting all the life groups just now, and I'm loving it. Every life group is so different. It's been a real joy for me. And when I was at her group, we were talking about hospitality, and I was so challenged by what it has looked like for her and for her group over the years. So, Isabel, please come and share with us this morning. Shelly, come to your group. You get asked to come up here. <laughs> uh, the reason I think we were talking about hospitality that particular day was that we'd been talking, as uh, Shelly said, about how we've not been able to do as much eating together in church and it, it made us think about what we've done as a small group uh, we've been able when it when we were allowed to, to meet in the house but we deliberately tried to keep it simple and uh, not have a big feast uh, so that anybody could feel free to ask each other to the house so that you wouldn't be saying, oh no, I'm not as good as her. I remember when uh, I was married at first, because it was a tradition in our church to take people home for lunch, I started doing that. And I remember saying to my sister, nobody ever asks us back. <laughs> and she said, oh, you must be asking the wrong people. And uh, I think you know what that means. Uh, but uh, we, we did try, when we were young, always to have an open house. And what we were talking about in the group was that it's not just about hospitality in the building, although Shelley's made it clear that that's a huge part of our, uh, us as a church. You have a home for that reason as well. Now, when we got married at first, we had a room in the kitchen. I think I called it... Uh, one bedroom flat, but it was a room and kitchen. <laughs> and I also said my address was Deniston, but my daughters have since told me that it was Hag Hill. <laughs> I lived in, I lived in Aberfoyle Street. But we had an open home even then. And uh, as we got another house and another house, we wondered why we hadn't, we were able to buy a house right at the end of Onslow Drive, which was in the big houses. And we thought, why are we getting opportunity to get this house when we've only got two wee girls and we don't need these bedrooms? But we soon discovered that God had given us that house for a reason, so we never, ever didn't have an open door. But the point was, maybe it was just rolls and sausage. It wasn't always a big meal. People that we had close friends with still today, like Margaret and and Bruna and Mary and all these other folk that were in church with us at that time, they all were open houses. Now you might be sitting there thinking, no, I couldn't, I couldn't have ended that. But you could if you kept it simple. And uh, as Shelley said, it's one way of extending love to each other. Thank you. Thank you.
Now, I was so challenged by this. So hospitality gives me the fear, right? Because I can't cook very well. I love having a full house. I love my house being busy. I love people being in and out. Lydia brings a friend home every single day after school. And I've always got loads and loads of children running about in all my cupboards and all my rooms. And I love it. But I, but I get frightened to invite people because I don't feel I'm a good cook or because I've been to lots of people's houses and they gave me a most beautiful meal. And actually, I'm so challenged that it's about keeping things simple. I have never gone to somebody's house and, saying, and said, you know, oh, they didn't have enough chairs for everybody. You know, we were standing about chatting or they never gave me this or they never gave me that. Every time I've been invited, I've always been so thankful for the invitation. And it challenged me to think, I want to be somebody who gets over my fear and just invites people without stressing, what am I going to cook? Um, I'd be happy for some cooking lessons as well, but I would also just invite you to have whatever I've got, a wee crisp and a wee cup of tea. That's what, a biscuit, a wee biscuit. And I was thinking about how before we had things like church buildings, the church met in houses. I'm struck by the fact that if it were not for people who were willing to open their homes to others, then the church would never have grown. So the third thing I want us to think about as we finish today is, to, is using your gifts and serving faithfully. The last part of this section says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. It says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at spiritual gifts as well again later this year. So I'm only going to mention it today to say that God has given every single one of you a gift. Every single one of you, God has given gifts by his Holy Spirit. And they have to be used for his glory wherever you are and for the building up of the church. And there's this great passage, obviously, that John has read today in 1 Corinthians 12. And it talks about the body of Christ as an actual functioning body and how important all the different parts are to make the body work. And God has designed the church so that no person can say they are unimportant because every person has a role and a contribution that is important. In fact, he talks about the physical body and how the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. It's so clever. Every part of the body has a significant role, and so it is with the church. But he takes it a bit further, and I love that about God. He always takes things a step further. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. He's saying no gift is more important than the other, and no person is not needed in the church, and even in the parts which we would say were unimportant, or that society would say were unimportant, God says the opposite. That actually they are so important in his eyes and have such a significant special role. 
Isn't that just so God to honor the ones that society wouldn't really place any value on? When I was thinking about this during the week, I just kept thinking, I love God. Like, I love that he chooses the ones that nobody else would choose. I love that God chooses the ones that nobody else would think were worth it. I love that he transforms the lives of the people that people would say were impossible. I love that he uses the ones that society has written off to fulfill his purposes in the world. I love that about God. And so I would encourage you to find out what your gifts are and we can help you do that and think about where you can use them. And then the passage says, do everything to the best of your ability. And this is really important. Sometimes if we're not going to serve with our very best attitude and our very best effort in a way that reflects Christ, then we're as well not doing it. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were serving God, not people. So that when people see your efforts, they see that it's because you long to glorify God and not people. What a challenge. When I'm making dinner in my house, I know that someone is probably going to moan about it. And I know that somebody's going to complain about what I've made. I know that some people won't eat it. I know that they probably won't appreciate the time and the effort that it took me to make that dinner and that I did it at the end of a working day and that I also did the washing and also did the clearing up. I could go on and on and on. But I can still prepare and serve it with love because I don't do it for a certain outcome or a certain response from my kids. I do whatever I do to serve God because he is blessed whenever I serve with a beautiful attitude. I don't really like doing things half-heartedly. And actually, God says we should do things with our whole hearts anyway. There are people here all the time, willingly hoovering, putting chairs away, setting up baptism pools, making tea and coffee, cleaning the kitchen after a service in the morning. And you might never see them do any of these things, but they do it not because they want recognition or because they've got loads of spare time to be given, but because they long to serve God and do their very best with all that they have. We are blessed in here with great people who serve faithfully with beautiful attitudes. And I wanted to tell you just as I'm closing today about your staff team in this church. They are amazing in the day-to-day -day things that they do. And what you see them do up here in their public ministry is exactly how they serve in their private ministry day-to-day. The team, John, Emma, Wes, Colin, the way that they serve up here is just part of what we see. And the way that they serve every single day when I watch them and when I work with them is exactly what you see is what you get. And this is the reality. They are easy to work with. They are always asking, how can I help make your week easier? Their hearts are for you and for this community. They have a real joy in their serving, even on their most difficult days. I think Colin must dread my voice notes at the end of the day because it's always Colin hears my mistake of the day and he's always there to fix it. He's always there to be gracious when he could be irritated. He always says, let's work it out together. So the main message from these verses is this. Do everything with love. On Friday, we were praying for a love revival and I loved that expression, Adele, a love revival. And honestly, I felt like it was a word for this message. God has loved us so abundantly. And how can we share that in all that we do? 
all that we do here, all that we do in our personal lives, all that we do in our jobs. Jesus, would you help us to radically love, radically welcome, and radically serve. And so I'm going to invite Jake to come up with the team, and we're going to sing our final song, and it's called Reckless Love, because God has gone above and beyond in his love for us, and we long to have that same love for others. So let's worship as we close. And if anybody would like prayer today, then please come, and we can pray for you to be filled again with the love of God.